All right, church, we're continuing in uh, our series through Acts. We're going to be wrapping it up at the end of the, the month, and some of you are like, amen, hallelujah. Uh, some of you are like, I wish they would have just kept writing what happened even after, after Paul's uh, journey to Rome. Uh, but we've been in this for uh, over a year and a half now, slowly uh, chomping through at times, quickly going through. Uh, we've taken some breaks along the way, but we're continuing in Acts chapter 27. If you all want to go ahead and turn there, there's uh, the main passage will not be on the screen. We encourage you to open up your Bible, even if it's just an app, uh, that's fine. But there's also Bibles uh, beneath you, behind you, every other row, and the baskets there at the end uh, to use as we go along. And some of you all, anybody have their scripture journals? Yeah, Val holds it up. She's like, yep, I'm ready to roll. That's great. That's our gift to you. I think we have a few still left on the book cart in the cafe. Uh, we've just asked that you guys uh, take notes along the way through our journey, write down questions. And if you have questions, you can go to newhilloh.com ask and ask whatever question uh, you want and receive a biblical response, either by responding to you directly or maybe it requires a podcast episode. Regardless, we want to give your question a biblical response. So we're coming here uh, in, in 13, uh, verse 13 of chapter 27, and we're dealing with the storm. Amen, Nelson? Where are you at? Where's he at? Ayo, there he is. We are here at the storm. Brother, don't worry. You were a week early, but I saw that some, you incorporated it again. You got some new songs. I just told him this week we were talking about songs and said, you can just run it back, right? Like, we'll see if anybody notices, but we can just do the same set from last week, talking about these storms and, and God being the God of the storm, and, and we can trust and rest in him. But the main theme is going to remain the same uh, from last week. It's just going to be a part two. So trusting God on the unknown and broken path, part Two. And last week, what we talked about when we're, we're dealing with this unknown and broken path, right? Paul's on his way to Rome, but, but there's so much unknown, so much that, uh, that is uncertain at this point for Paul. But one thing he knows for sure from earlier in Acts is that he's going to make it to Rome because the Lord told him, you're going to testify also in Rome. And what the Lord says is going to happen. It's going to come to fruition. So Paul knows that. But we looked last week how God gives favor with the wicked, that, that even the wicked people in your life, God can give you favor with them and use them to serve you for his purpose and for his glory, just as he did with Julius, as he let Paul, a prisoner, go out, go off the ship and be served by his friends, it says. We saw how God uses his people to serve his people, that we, were, we are given one another as a gift, the church, not, each, not any one of us being the church individually, but corporately together that we make up the body of Christ. And then we saw how God speaks through his word and through his people, that we are to go and to proclaim the truth and the goodness of God to all of creation. Now we're continuing on that, that theme of trusting God on this unknown and broken path. And as we do that, the three points we're going to look at as we look at the text to drive home trusting God on this unknown and broken path is that the faithless despair, the faithful deliver, and faith delivers, right? So before we dive in, let's just be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, we pray your blessing among this gathering, over this gathering for us this morning, that as we come in, God, that, that we would recognize that we are sinful beings. God, to those who have surrendered to you, we are being sanctified, but surely, God, we are fighting off the flesh by the power of your spirit. So we pray that, that we would leave it all at the cross this morning understanding, repenting of our sins from this week, but knowing assuredly that we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. May we come to your word this morning seeking transformation, 
seeking change from your word and not my words. God, may we humbly come before you this morning seeking to be more like you, to go out and to live according to this word, which is truth and sanctifies and saves your people. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First point, faithless despair. The faithless despair. Those who are without hope, without faith in Christ Jesus, they despair. There's no hope. There's, there's nothing. And, and, and we can look back. Maybe some of you were saved at such a young age. It's like tough to look back. Like what were you clinging on to for your eternal hope and, and salvation, right? But maybe some of you are like, I just came to Jesus. I'm in my, my 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, maybe older. Maybe you've seen and witnessed that in people's lives. And, and you can hear the testimony of this groaning and this, this yearning for some kind of truth and looking everywhere but the truth, looking to any source for hope while suppressing this and seeking elsewhere. See, those that are without faith are without hope. And we see that, that, that to be true not only in our own life but here in this passage with these, these sailors, those who, who are leading the ship across this dangerous situation it says in verse 13 it says now when the south wind blew gently supposing that they had obtained their purpose they weighed anchor and sailed along crete close to the shore now keep in mind just shortly before this paul's telling him, he says guys this is like november or later this is not a good time for us to be going across the sea like I, I know, I've, I've heard from my brothers, I've got some experience with myself, this is not the time for people to be doing this. And they knew that too. They knew that this was not the time of the year. Everybody gets that, right? It's like, you know, when, when October hits, you're starting to like bunker down here in Northeast Ohio. It's like, you know that it's not the time of the year to go out and be playing football in January, right? It's just, it doesn't make sense. Use, use your sense here, right? You go out and your hands start hurting, it's too cold. Tell my kids that. Like, you don't even have to put gloves on. You put gloves on, it's not going to make a difference around here. You're going to get cold. And that's, that's what they're doing. They're trying to go out, and Paul's warning them. And the result, Paul tells them, he says, there will be damage to the ship, loss of cargo, and possibly we will lose our lives. And then verse 13, it seems so calm. It seems smooth. Look, it's, it says, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. It seems so calm, right? It's like, why did Paul even open his mouth? Some of you all, some of you personally warned me about, like, uh, being a parent, and you told me about this storm that was going to come, right? We get to the hospital, I'm like, this is easy, right? They're bringing us food, they're taking our baby, they're changing her diaper. There was one time that, that they didn't come for a little while, and I was like, oh, someone's coming, I need to go change her diaper, right? Like, I got to start being dead. But then we got home, and that storm hit, right? I'm like, I really got to be a parent now, right? And then the second time, you think that you know, and you do a little bit better. You're not like, oh, they're so fragile, and, and you're kind of a little bit more loose. But you get to the hospital again, men, and you're like, this is a vacation, right? Like, we just went to see uh, a family member, and, and the husband, he kept calling it a hotel. And I'm like, dude, you got to quit calling it a hotel before your wife gets mad. Like, to us men, it's like, it just seems so calm. Like, where's the storm? And then you get home and you realize that the, the reality of the hospital was not the reality of going home and actually being a parent. And then dealing with, with a baby and changing all the diapers and dealing with the fussiness is not the reality of dealing with a three, four, and five-year-old when they're starting to show their depravity. 
and their need for Christ and their, their deceitful nature that they were born with. And they feel like this, this oh, it's calm. Paul didn't even need to open his mouth. We should just throw him over, right? Like, what is up with this guy? Verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind called, a north, called the Northeasters struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island named Kata. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run along on uh, Syrtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since they were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all of our hope, all hope of our being what, church? Saved was at last abandoned. So it seems calm. It's like, why did he even say anything? And it quickly turns for the worst. Now, if you actually look at the map of how they were sailing uh, up to Rome, they like go up, and it looks like my, if you tell me to draw a straight line, this is exactly what it would look like. Just like type in on Google, Paul's journey to Rome. Like the, this just like goes up, and then it just zigzags, and they drop south. And it's because they had to follow the wind. It blew them, and they had to give, they, hey, we've just got to follow where this takes us, because if we fight against it, it's going to be worse. So they follow along, and they quickly turn to desperation mode. They start uh, throwing over their cargo, Right? And that's exactly what we do. When, when we turn to desperation mode, when our hope is not fixed on the cross of Christ, we will have but no choice to be our own Savior. That's what we have to do. If there's no Jesus in the picture, there's got to be some Savior. Because all of humanity recognizes its, its despair. That there's some kind of need for a change. Again, we take that and we run with it. We, we suppress this and we run, hey, I need something, we need hope, we need to turn somewhere. We turn to, to government, we turn to cults, we turn to other religions, we turn to ourselves instead of surrendering to Christ. That's exactly what happens. And I'm not saying that these men needed to find Jesus on this boat, right? Like, that's, like when you look at this, they should have just listened to Paul, like, hey, we can chill out, like, we don't need to rush him over to Rome. Right? We don't need to, to risk our lives and, and everything on this ship for the sake of just getting to Rome in a timely fashion. But spiritually, the faithless despair. Those who are without faith look like that of the sailors. We don't heed to the voice of God. We don't listen to the voice of His people who are speaking His word. And what do we do? We find ourselves desperate. To, to the person who doesn't believe, you're desperate for your eternity and redemption. To the Christian, you find yourself being disciplined by God, and we don't know why. And it's because God's trying to draw you close to him, not further away. He's given you over to your, to, to your situation so that you may draw near to him. It's like in, in our life, we've got so many projects that we set out to accomplish. You just 
go to anybody's house, right? Like, I, I could take the blame, and I could talk about my life, but let me just cast some blame on everybody else, right? Like, we start these projects, and we realize very quickly that we're ill-equipped to finish them. Whether we don't have the right tools or the right equipment. Me, I set out, and I've got a screwdriver, and I'm like, any screw will work. And I'm finding out that not every screw works for every project. A little inch and a half screw doesn't work when you're trying to put a deck board that needs a three and a half inch screw. I've learned this, right? It just doesn't work. And so it is with salvation. When you do not have Christ, you will not be eternally saved. You will be eternally separated. And the faithless despair seeking everything but the hope that is within Jesus, turning to our way every time we get a chance. Proverbs 14, 12. We've talked about it in the past few weeks, but let's read it again. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Right? Some of you ladies are like, amen. But that's men and women. Like, that's the, the heart of men and women, right? Like, yes, us men, we have a way. We've got a plan. Duct tape everything. Just, just try and patch over everything, right? But all of us, every person ever born has experienced this, that we have a way, and when we follow our way, it seems so good in the moment. Let's just take off. We're fine, right? Like, we can, we can get there. But that's despair. And then they start throwing over the tackle. They're, they're losing. They're losing profit for things that they, they, they need to get over. And, like, this just makes my heart, like, ache, knowing, like, how much, like, tackle costs as, like, a fisherman, right? Like, I will jump in for, like, my, my little lure, right? Like, I'm like, that thing was $6, right? And I just lost two of them. I'm not about to lose a third. Like, and usually it's within, like, 10 minutes. I'm like, Aubrey, we're leaving. She's like, we just got here. I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm out. That's what we do, sinful people in desperate situations. When we have no faith, when we have no hope, we will turn every which way, Christian, Understand that when you are sharing the gospel, do not be surprised when people turn every which way except to the hope that you're sharing in Jesus. That's the heart of sinful people, and that was your heart before Christ intervened in your life. Understand that the faithless despair, but the faithful deliver. Point number two. You are the faithful I'm talking about. You who are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus and you, you are the faithful. You are the redeemed. And you have a message to deliver. In these desperate situations, when those around you seem to be living in despair, hopeless and helpless and heading for hell, you are the one to proclaim the truth of Christ and the cross that saves sinners. Paul seems to remain calm under these conditions. We find out here a few verses later that there's a reason. He was given a vision. An angel had come to him and told him of this hope. Just as we had talked last week about Paul remaining calm, we too, church, ought to remain calm. When COVID 2.0 hits, we remain calm and collected, knowing that this world is going to take us out. And it could be COVID, it could be cancer, or it could be Christ coming back. But this world will come to an end. And judgment will come on the last day. He remains calm under these conditions and he delivers hope to the hopeless. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. I want to stop here for just a second. Verse 21, 
Paul stands up and he says, men, you should not, should not have, have done this. You should have listened to me and not have incurred this injury or loss by setting sail. He takes a quick moment to remind them that this could have been avoided. Some of you are like, like me. I would have reminded them. I'd have been like, look what you all did. Like this is, this, everything that's happening is your all's fault. Now I'm going to go back down and go to sleep. This, this is your all's problem. But he doesn't do that. See, this is not a moment of conceit, for that is not Christ-like. Conceit, conceited behavior is not Christ-like. Howard Church, this is a moment of remembrance so that they may listen up this time. So when we go out, we can correct people. We can bring to remember, hey, remember when I told you? It's what you do next after that when I told you that's going to make the difference. Are we going to say, remember when I told you? Bad word. Remember when I told you not to do that? Dummy, right? And that's the way that we act. We're like, hey, you didn't listen to me. This is your fault. This is your problem. Or we can turn and say, remember when I told you? Now we have a chance to correct course, okay? You didn't listen to me the first time, and this is what's happened. We found ourselves in this situation. Let's correct it. How do we correct it? See, this, this kind of behavior, this humility, imagine Christians being humble, that, that we wouldn't point fingers and, and laugh at and cast blame. But Paul says, hey, you didn't listen. This could have been avoided. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul is not just looking for, for his own survival. He's saying, hey guys, if you all want to survive and make it out, this is, this is what we need to do. Listen up. Listen up this time. You didn't listen before. This is where we are. Humility, church, is something that must be sought in the Christian life. It's something that must be exemplified in our life. And no, it doesn't come easy. Maybe you heard that it's something that we must have, and you're like, I don't know how I can do that. I don't know how I can have humility. It's not easy. But surely, church, it comes in our sanctification. For Paul goes on to say, after verse 4 in Philippians 2, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That means you own it. You have possession of Christ-like humility in Christ Jesus, your Savior, your Lord. And it goes on to say, he compares that humility that we have now in Christ to that humility that Jesus exemplified. It says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Paul has not only an eternal hope in Christ Jesus, he has a hope from the situation. And he's delivering this message of hope in a situation where he shouldn't have been calm. Right? Like, this is hectic. Like, I remember, what, what's that, that, the movie where the ship goes up and then it flips over? What is it? Oh, not that one. There's more? This one's based off of a true story. Perfect Storm, that one. Because I was, I was a little bit younger, and uh, anyways, I remember watching that, and it was like just chaos, right? It's like watching the Titanic, and it's chaos. And it's, it's worse than being on land because it's like, what are we going to do? Like, I can swim, but I can't swim long. I watch Shark Week. I know what sharks do. They, like, smell, like, the, the disaster. They smell the despair, right? It's not a moment where we in our flesh want to be calm. It's not a moment where we want to be humble. 
But we ought to be. Why? Because the Savior who saved us, who met us where we were and took us out of our desperate situation and gave us life, now gives us the humility to live out. Paul says this attitude, this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. What's this message of hope he shares? He tells him, he says, listen, you didn't listen to me in verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sell with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that we will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. He says, we got to make it to an island but we're going to be good. You want to know why? I didn't just come up with that. An angel of the Lord told me. Also, humility there. If I was telling that story, I'd be like, an angel told me we're going to be fine. No, the angel says, fear not. So Paul is, is clearly fearful. Like You even go back to, to earlier on in last week's passage, like there at the very end, and Paul's like, there, there could be loss of our lives. And Paul had already been told in chapter 23 that you're going to testify in Rome. But here he finds himself in these situations where he, he doesn't want to remain calm. It's clear. For the angel tells him, fear not, but gives him the message of hope. And what does he do with that message of hope? He delivers it. Paul, he apparently, apparently had some kind of fear himself, but the angel tells him. Now imagine Paul receiving that hope, that message of hope. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to be delivered. You all be fine, Paul. You're going to testify before Caesar. Paul receives that, that great information. Now imagine he withheld it. Chaos is abounding on the top deck. And people, do they feel like they have no hope? There's no way? And they've got to take it into their hands. See, that's how some of us Christians sleep at night. We know mom and dad are going to hell. We know our aunts and uncles and our friends and our neighbors are going to hell, and we're like A-OK -okay with it because we're not. We can sleep at night knowing the gospel has the power to save sinners and redeem them into the arms of a loving father, and we sleep at night. Not only knowing that they're going to hell, but knowing that we're not going to do anything to intervene. Church, I'm preaching to myself here. I've got neighbors that need to hear the gospel, and I've been too ashamed to tell them. They know I live differently, but they don't hear it from me. They don't hear what makes it different. We had one neighbor, he, he told us, Aubrey goes down and she... The reason she went down is because there was a garage sale, right? Like, that, that's, if you all were wondering, like, does Aubrey just go door knocking on neighbors' doors? No. There's a garage sale. But what did Aubrey do in that moment? Started talking to him and engaging with him. Found out he was a missionary in Bolivia, right? And she used to be a missionary in Bolivia. She's like, that's cool, right? Can you give me a deal, right? Like, is there anything else that's like, you can knock off? I feel the struggle of being a missionary. And then I was talking to the same neighbor, and he said, I knew that you guys were Christians. I could see it. And I'm like, you live three blocks away, and I didn't know that you were a Christian because I didn't go out of my way. He probably knew because the sign that says, love your neighborhood, newhillowage.com. <laughs> He's a pastor, right? It's pretty clear. My, we got our pictures on, on, the, on the website, right? But how do we withhold a message of hope that saves sinners? It doesn't just send them to, to heaven and redeem them from hell. It redeems them into a relationship with the God of all creation who we've been separated from because of our sin. It's as though we're, we're so worried what someone might say if we proclaim Christ as Lord over all our life. Talking to me. 
What would happen if my neighbors heard me say, do you believe in Jesus as your Lord? Because he's Lord over my life. You need to repent and believe. Now, it happened a little bit more organically than that. Like, I don't see like my neighbor Jerry walk out of his door and like, repent and believe, right? It happens organically. We talk to our neighbors. We should be talking to our neighbors. We should be serving them. We should be delivering this message of hope. Now, imagine preaching Christ when, think about these scenarios and how you've maybe found yourself in them. Preaching Christ when your coworker seems discouraged because they didn't get the promotion. How do I fit Jesus in that? Are they hopeless? Are they helpless? Do they seem just kind of like caught off guard? Remind them that God has a plan for their life. Maybe there's something better around the corner, or maybe he's teaching them patience in that moment. But it's tough to understand that if you're not a Christian. Preaching the gospel in that situation. A friend loses their job, changes their life, changes their budget. Without Christ, sometimes ruins marriages. With Christ in the wrong perspective, still sometimes ruins marriages. Because their eyes weren't fixed on the cross and they dealt with the loss of a job. Maybe someone you know has admitted to you that they're struggling in their marriage. They're struggling as parents and we say, it'll all be okay. Instead of giving them the hope of the gospel. Church, you too as a believer, when you face these situations, you look to the gospel. And you're reminded of that hope that met you where you were. The joy of the gospel never fades away. It doesn't become stale. It gets better and better. They say like fine wine, but wine's terrible, so I don't know. But it gets better, and it gets better. Imagine someone telling you that life is just difficult, and they don't know how they're going to continue on with life. Share the gospel. Deliver the good news. The faithful deliver. See, when we focus in on these words from Paul, it ought to change that twisted perspective in those situations. Because Paul says this. Listen to these words. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. If you are a Christian, you've surrendered your life to Christ. You belong to him. You belong to God, brother and sister. You are not your own. See, fine by me. You take my net worth and my depravity, it doesn't add anything anyway. It takes away the value, right? Like, it, it just goes down. R.C. Sproul says this. He says, Christians are God's property both by creation and redemption. You know what that means? First off, that means that everything and everybody is God's property by creation. He's created everything. But most importantly, he's redeemed us. He's adopted us by the blood of Jesus. And we are his property. That means everything with our life ought to be for the glory of God, as Paul says. Do it for the glory of God. When addressing sexual immorality, Paul says this about the body to the church. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's talking about sexual immorality. But that same concept applies to all of life, as the rest of scriptures attest to. We are not our own. We were bought with a price, so live like it. The faithful deliver this message of hope. If you don't want to be owned by God, trust me, church, you'll be owned by sin. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18 says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, that means owned, that means bound to sin, says, once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching which you were committed. Free in Christ to live for Christ, proclaiming hope in Christ. That's our job. We've been freed in Christ to live for Christ, proclaiming hope in Christ. 
Trusting that faith delivers, church. Point number three. We're going to wrap up here. Faith delivers. If we don't deliver, see, that would be the misconception. We, we think that people are, are, are despairing, right? Like they are hopeless. And then we look at that situation, we're going to do one of two things, right? If we're going to intervene, we're going to try and become their savior and remove them from that situation. And we'll talk, we'll sprinkle a little, a little bit of Jesus in there. And on the last day, they won't know Jesus because we became their Jesus while talking about Jesus. We elevated ourselves above the Lord we were preaching. And it happens all the time. We do it in our marriages. We do it in our parenting. We talk about Jesus, but we're, we're the one, right? Like, we're the Savior. I, I've got to intervene for you so that I can get you out of that. Or we're going to trust that as we proclaim, God will be faithful to save as he is, church. He's using us to deliver this message, and he is actively and faithfully saving his people, whom he's called and chosen for himself before creation. Paul calls them to act accordingly to the message of hope that he had delivered. How? How does he do that? Let's look at verse 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little farther they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship and lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. See, some, some time has passed, and they seem to have calmed down a little bit and listened to the message of Paul. However, they're about to get off the ship. It's kind of getting, they just need to abandon this. It's a situation that they need to take back into their hands, and, and they're not going to listen to Paul about being delivered. They're going to also go back and, and just, we don't have any hope. This is what happens. A little bit of time, it seems good, and then it goes astray again. But Paul states clearly here in verse 31. As clear as day, he says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. He says that the promise of safety he received from the angel, that, that vision, is contingent on staying put. Have faith. Don't remove yourself from the situation. Trust God in the situation and that he's working out his will and his plan for his glory. And he's telling them, these are people who don't know the Lord. Some of them do, some of them don't. And he's telling them, you cannot do this. The moment the waters began to rise and become fierce again, they were ready to abandon ship and the hope which they had received. Their salvation from the storm, church, was not dependent upon their plan or execution of it. It was faith in the message that Paul gave. And this message isn't explicitly the gospel. He's not saying, stay on the ship and you will be eternally saved. He's saying, no, for the safety of your, well, like your well-being and not dying in the sea, stay here. He says, I know you're, you're safe here now, but if you jump off, I can't guarantee that. See, church, their obedience to this message Paul's sharing would lead to their redemption to land. But so it is with salvation. We cannot come up with a plan well enough or an execution good enough 
to save ourselves and our souls. But if we have faith in Christ and faith alone in Christ alone, you will be saved. For if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's faith alone in that. Faith alone. Church, say it with me. Faith alone. Romans 3.28 For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, our way is the way of the sailors. We try to save ourselves. Christian, we try and save others. And we're leading them nowhere but to the path that they were already on, destruction. We point people to Christ and the cross and what he did and call them to repent and to believe. We know, we know, Christians, we know that we cannot save ourselves, yet we still may try. Take comfort in the word of the Lord. It says, be still and know that I am God. The story goes on, verse 32 through 37. The soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all. He's still delivering the message of the gospel. He broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. They continue, hey, let's just get rid of this. Our bellies are full. We're good. It's been 14 days. We'll make it now. They were spared because they listened to this message, not of eternal redemption, but literally just physical redemption. Hey, you'll get back on land, you'll be able to walk again, right? The application here, church, is that we are to go and to share this message of redemption to those who were once in despair to now be deliverers of this hope in Jesus Christ, knowing that faith delivers. Believers, rest in the word. Rest in the word of God. Find refuge in the word. Like turn to it. When, when it seems like everything's going, like it's just chaos out there. It's abounding. Grace and peace abound here where the word of the Lord precedes all things. It goes forth. Rest in the word. To those of you who are further along in your walk, maybe you've been a believer for years and, and you're more mature, you've been doing this, you're seasoned, you're a vet, Right? You're not a better Christian, but you've, you've just got some experience. You've been through some of this stuff. You're investing in our lives. So let me talk to you for a minute. Ask yourself this. Do people know who I belong to? Do they know? When they, when they look at, at you, do they know who you belong to? Do they know that I love the Lord my God, and do they see and hear about Jesus in my life? See, my one neighbor saw it, but he's a Christian. It stood out to him. The other neighbors are like, something's different with him. 
I'm from West Virginia, right? We're, we're pretty good people, right? But no, it's Jesus. The good that they're seeing in me, I can't take credit for. But I should be giving credit to verbally saying, hey, if there is something different you see, it's the Lord that saved me. It's the word that I received from another believer that called me to Jesus. And now I'm living like one who belongs to him. Owned and purchased by the blood of Jesus. See, church, there's no shortage of hopeless, faithless people around you. So it's time to be a faithful deliverer of the message and deliverance. So if you're, you're further along in your walk, that's what we need to do. You can't say that there's not believers around you. If there's a believer, your neighbor's a believer and they say, hey, I believe in Jesus, ask them what that means. Because there's people claiming the name of Jesus that are going to hell. Figure out where they land. To those of you who feel like this is all new and maybe you're a recent convert, you've recently surrendered your life to Jesus, you're in the best spot. Someone hasn't screwed you up, right? Some of us, we got years and we're like, I wish I could just go back to the beginning and I could discipline myself. Listen, maybe you feel like you're just behind. No, you are in the best spot. That joy that you've recently found in the Lord when he found you, go and share. Discipline yourselves in the ways of the Lord now because it's hard to catch up. Such is life. It's hard. When you don't listen to training at work and, and now you're a year into the job and it's like, hey, you didn't do that. And it's like, I don't know how to do that. And it's the most basic part of the job. You just got to listen to the training. You're in a good spot. Discipline yourselves in the ways of the Lord. Meet regularly with other Christians and ask them the most basic and most elementary to the most difficult questions that you could come up with. Because you are being sharpened, but you are sharpening them also. That brotherhood, that fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ is necessary and needed and something you were created for and redeemed to. Whatever you think, ask and therefore grow to the glory of God. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer, right? You're like, this is new or like I've, I've been kind of coming and, and you recognize that you are separated from Jesus. Let me tell you, there's not a storm coming. There's the end of this fallen world coming. And at the end of that coming, there's judgment. And there's two buckets, for lack of better terminology. It's those that are faithless and those that are faithful. Not those that are bad and those that are good. We'd all be in one bucket there, bad. Those without faith in Christ Jesus will be separated from Christ into more despair, something that this earth is only given glimpses of. See all that bad? You see, you see, you turn on Fox or CNN, whatever you watch, and you see how crazy the world is? That's only a glimpse of the separation from God for all of eternity. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Surrender your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning. And to those who have surrendered to Christ in faith will be raised to walk in newness of life forever, for all of eternity, to enjoy and to be with God and his goodness and enjoy him forever. Repent of your sins and surrender to Christ this morning. Band, if you'd come back up this morning and just end us in, in one last song. Church, I, I, I can't hammer that home enough for myself. So I pray that this is, this is good news to you, that, that faithless despair, right? Like, how's that supposed to be good? It's supposed to be good because when we look at that, we're reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? And we understand that our job as Christians is to go and to glorify God and go out and tell of the goodness and glory of God and tell people to repent and believe, trusting that faith delivers. 
those who have faith will be delivered and are indeed redeemed today to live for Christ now. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray just for you to continue working, for you to continue proclaiming in our hearts by your Spirit this truth. God, I pray that as we look at the outside world, we would, we would see people who we once were separated, apart from you, desperate, looking every which way, suppressing the truth along that path. And God, I pray that we would see that we've been redeemed to live for you and to proclaim you to all of creation. And God, remind us that faith delivers. We don't deliver. Our plans don't deliver. Our execution won't deliver us. You will. And you are faithful to grant us faith. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. God, I pray for this week as, as we continue wrestling with this. God, I, I know that it's not easy. My flesh just wants to just chill. My flesh just wants to get home after a long day and just be me. But I'm a new me in you. And I pray that we would be selfless, sacrificial servants of you, our almighty king. God, and I pray for the comfort of every believer as they go out to rest in the fact that you are saving your people and you are using us along the way. I pray that we would unite in fellowship with one another, discussing and doing life together, talking about the difficulties and the trials and sharpening one another in our walk with you. God, and I pray that in all things you would receive the glory. So be with us as we depart from here today to go and to put Jesus into perspective teaching everyone to honor all that you do, observe the things you've commanded, providing to the needs of others, and extending the gospel message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.